You know, anyone read the Love Languages book? The, you know, like the five love languages. The idea is that we love people with the language that they speak, not with the language we speak. And so, you know, it's things like acts of service or physical touch or different things. We're all wired differently. Well, Megan loves to hike. That's her. She loves to exercise and go for a walk. And so Valentine's Day for us looked like a five-mile hike, which was a lot of fun. In fact, there's a really cool trail that runs right along the ridge here up in Glendora. And uh, five miles, but i got to tell you, feeling it a little bit. It was a five-mile hike on Friday, a great game of tennis with my daughter yesterday, and uh, a little bit of pain this morning. But it is good to be here. It's good for me. Hey, we, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. We are continuing our series called God Is. It is a year-long series where we're taking a look at the aspects, the, the goodness of God, the various attributes of who He is, uh, and learning to love Him more. Uh, if you've not had a chance to grab one of our journals, uh, we're working through these. There's Bible readings uh, from Monday through Friday, time for you to spend time in the Word. In fact, a lot of the passages that are showing up in the messages on Sunday are part of the reading for the week. And so if you were in the journal this week, you're going to recognize uh, at least a couple of the passages this morning. If you haven't had a chance to grab a journal yet, you can stop by the Information Center and would be happy to give you one. Uh, there's no charge for these. And, and you know what's crazy is that we're close to halfway through our first journal for the year. So when we get to April, we'll have another journal that'll go for the next three months, but it's flying by, isn't it? And so hopefully uh, you're getting a chance to be in uh, the Word and enjoying that time with the Lord. Asking this question, who is God? Who is God? It's an important question for us to ask. Uh, you're going to get tired of me hearing, saying this, but it's okay, because I think it's important for us enough for, for us to repeat this every Sunday of the year. Who is God? Because what you believe about God, who you believe He is, and what you believe He does and His nature and character will affect how you live your life. Amen? What you believe affects how you live. And so what we believe is important. What we believe about God is all the more important. In fact, it's the most important thing that we can do. Last Sunday was pretty awesome. We had seven people get baptized in water. Um, what a great Sunday. Four people scheduled. No, no, three people. Yeah, three, four. Three scheduled, four additional who just said, you know what, this morning, and I love to see our kids and our youth responding to the call of God on their lives, uh, and getting, getting up in public and standing in a pool of water, which we had set up right here, and, and making that public display. Uh, we already have two people signed up for our next baptism service, uh, which will be on May 3rd, so it's coming up. So if you have not been baptized in water, you've not taken that step, that public display uh, of your faith and your relationship with Jesus Christ, I encourage you to sign up. You can just fill out a connect card and check the baptism box, or you can do that uh, on the app as well. You notice there's a lot of things on the app. We talk about the app a lot, uh, but there are. You can sign up for all of the different things that we're talking about, and in fact, the sermon notes for this morning are on there as well, the, uh, the, the passages that we're reading, so if you want to reference those. But what a great day celebrating with those. The reason people got baptized 
is because they took God at his word, responding to his invitation to be saved, and then taking that next step of making a public declaration of who he is. See, the thing is, is when we say yes to Jesus and we start living for him, he, he calls us to live like no one else. He calls us to be different to the world, to live in a way that doesn't line up with the way that the world does. And he does some pretty amazing things. I want to reference a passage we read last week out of Galatians chapter 4. We're going to start here and then we're going to dive into the theme for this morning. It says this in Galatians 4. But when the, time had, uh, the, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. I love this passage. I love Paul's heart here. I love what he is declaring. Of course, in the book of Galatians, there's all kinds of context we have to consider. But it's pretty amazing to to think this, that we were slaves, that we lived in a place of bondage to sin and slavery to sin, that that our, our hands and our feet were shackled, that we were limited in our lives and the way we could live our lives. But because of the love of Jesus, because he came under the law, born of a virgin, because he lived the life he did, he opened the way for us to receive him into our hearts, to receive the spirit that allows us to say, Abba, Father, we are no longer slaves, but we are children, and we've also been made heirs. We are heirs. We sang about that this morning. We declared that in music and song this morning, that we are no longer slaves to sin, We are children of God. Sonship is pretty amazing. To be the son of the king is a huge deal. It's pretty amazing. I don't know if you follow the news at all, but uh, over in the UK, the whole royal family is going through all kinds of turmoil. They've actually been going through turmoil for a long time, right? But the big deal right now is Prince Harry is kind of walking away from his royal duties and kind of separating himself from that title. And, and, it's, a, and it's a big deal. It's a big deal, at least for, you know, if you lived in England, it'd be a bigger deal. But it's a big deal that you would have this title, that you would have this, this royal designation and say, I'm going to walk away from that. Well, we've done the exact opposite, but not for the king or the queen of England. The king of the universe has said, hey, you didn't have a title, and you, weren't, you were born into sin. You weren't born into the kingdom of God, but because of Jesus, you have now been adopted into this kingdom, and you're not just a citizen of this kingdom. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God, and because you are a son or a daughter, you are an heir. You are entitled to everything in that kingdom. It's so important for us to to realize that, to see that, because it affects every part of our lives. Over the course of this year, we're going to be doing a lot of looking back in Scripture, 
Looking back at the different attributes of God, if you notice even this week, a lot of the reading uh, was in the Old Testament. And, and I've even had people who are kind of doing this thing now, they're like trying to figure out where I'm going with the message. They're like, okay, I know that the, 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 the passages this week will be in the sermon. I wonder where he's going to go with it. Well, it's important for us to look back and ask, who is God? Who is God in the Old Testament? I know for so many people, the idea of like, oh, I've got to read the Old Testament. I'd rather read the New Testament. It's a lot more fun. It's a lot more engaging. It's a lot less confusing, right? There's some stuff in the Old Testament you read, you're like, oh, wow, that, that doesn't, I, I don't get it. I don't understand what that means, and that's okay. You can press into it, but I think, I think the thing is this. We begin to see a picture of who God is emerge as we read the whole of Scripture. And that's important. I think a lot of Christians read bits and pieces of Scripture, right? We, we get the Twitter feed, right? Like, let's just get as many, as few characters as possible. I just want the highlight reel. I don't, I don't want to go the deep dive, but the problem is, is when we don't get the full picture, it's like all, all you ever do is watch the previews, but never watch the movie. And you're going to get a little sense of it. Now, some previews, let's be honest, you see the preview and then you watch the movie and like, I didn't need to see the movie. The whole movie was in the preview. But the word of God is not that way. It's not enough to get the preview. It's not enough to get the highlight reel or the Twitter feed. You have to dive in and you have to get this fuller picture of who God is. And the importance of asking, what does this passage tell me about God, is this. It's, it helps us to understand who he is. See, because the God of the Old Testament is the same God today. The attributes he has in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Job and the Psalms and through all of the, the prophets is the same God who we have today. He doesn't change. James tells us that he does not change like shifting shadows, that he is the same God, that he does not change. And if he doesn't change, I can look back into history, into scripture, and get an understanding of his nature and his character, his attributes, his wisdom, his goodness, his compassion. Because if they were present in the Old Testament, I know that they're present today. They're present in the New Testament. They're present today. He is the same God today as he has always been. So important for us. So this morning, I want to talk about God is Father. That is our title this morning. God is Father. He is our Father. And we, again, we sang about that this morning. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 9 says this, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. Of course, he is speaking here to the children of Israel. His, his beloved people, his, his prized possession, these people that he delivered out of Egypt. This is who he is writing, who he is speaking to. The Lord did not set his affection on you because, and choose you because you were no, more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, uh, of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
Know therefore that the Lord God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and and keep his commandments. What do we see here? What do we understand about who God is? We see his love. We see his faithfulness. We see that he doesn't choose peoples or, or groups of peoples based on, their, uh, on how many there are, how, how numerous they are, what they bring to the table. Uh, you know, you hear this kind of statement like, you know, maybe in interviewing someone or wanting to bring someone onto a team and, and you kind of ask this question, well, what do they offer? What do they have to offer? What do they bring to the table, right? Any, anyone ever heard? It's kind of, it doesn't, kind of an ugly feeling. Like, what do, what do you have to offer? What do you bring to the equation? Now, in a job setting, I'm sure it's appropriate. In fact, it is appropriate. But there's, this, there's, there's a sense that we can bring this into our relationship with God and kind of wonder, like, God is saying, well, what do you bring? What do you offer? And you know what the answer is for every one of us? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. That we can't add to who he is. Or even take away from who he is. So what he does is he just, in the same way that he extended this invitation to the Israelites, he chose them, and we see his affection, we see this part of his nature and character present with the children of Israel. It says that he brought them out with a mighty hand and redeemed them. You know what it says of us because of Jesus? It says that he brought us out of slavery and into sonship. He brought us out of the darkness and into the light. And then he set his affection on us. Do you see that the parallel there, 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 there is a parallel there, that the same God who, who moved in this way to bring deliverance in the Old Testament moves on our behalf to bring deliverance in our lives. Why? Because he is consistent. Because he does not change. The same God who had a mighty hand and redeemed the Israelites has a mighty hand in your life and is working to redeem, not just to save you, but to move in your life in every aspect, in every part of who you are, keeping that covenant of love that he has made for you. There's a love, a covenant of love that God has made with you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And it's an eternal covenant. It's a covenant that will not fade, it will not spoil, it will not go away, that he keeps his covenant. We read the whole of Psalm 145 this week. It's a long passage, and I'm actually going to read this whole psalm today, because I think it's so important. What I've done is I've highlighted some of the things that really stood out to me in this passage when it speaks of who God is. And just listen, listen to the awesomeness of God in our lives. The psalmist writes, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness. 
and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassion, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all the people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and give you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Wow. God is awesome, has awesome works. He does great deeds. He shows abundant goodness. He is righteous. He is gracious to all. He is good to all. He has compassion. He rules over an everlasting kingdom. He is trustworthy and faithful. He upholds and lifts up. He provides and gives everyone their food. He provides for provision and, 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 and life for everyone. He opens his hands and satisfies the desires of those who love him. He hears our cries and saves. What an awesome picture of who God is. Like this is just, just chock full of the attributes and the characteristics and the nature of who God is. And when I read Psalm 145, I know this, the same God that, that the psalmist is writing about is the same God that loves me. The same God that I get to serve, the same God that you get to serve, the same God who has called us his sons and his daughters. But can I tell you something? Jesus knew that we would struggle with compre comprehending the goodness of the Father. He knew that we would struggle with receiving. I know about you, but I've read the Bible a lot in my life. I've known Jesus since I was five years old. And I've read a lot of verses and read a lot of passages, read a lot of Bible stories. And there are times when I am reading the Bible when I'm thinking, well, that sounds nice for someone else. That sounds nice, but that's probably not for me. That sounds nice, but I'm not feeling that right now. That sounds nice, but, but it, it can't apply to me because I've made too many mistakes. I've done too many wrong things. I've thought too many bad thoughts. I've not trusted enough or not had enough. Anyone else? Am I the only one? All right. We read it and we're like, Lord, I want to believe this, but I'm really struggling right now. Last week, we celebrated as people gave their lives to Jesus, as we saw those get baptized in water, and, and it is appropriate to celebrate. For many of you, 
You've had a moment when you gave your life to Jesus. I remember that moment at a church family camp when I was a little kid. I remember being in the little A-frame chapel and responding to the lady who was teaching and said, does anyone want to give their lives to Jesus? I remember that moment. And maybe you remember that moment as well. That moment where you said, yes, you raised your hand or you came forward. But you move past that moment and, and then all of a sudden you start struggling and going, well, okay, well, I know that Jesus loves me because I know the words to the song. I know that Jesus loves me, or I should know that Jesus loves me because I've been told it enough. But when I read and I understand the things of the word, I don't always feel like it applies. I don't always feel like it lands in, 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 in a place in my life where I can receive it. In fact, I think what we do is we end up disqualifying ourselves. We think about all of the reasons why we shouldn't be the sons and the daughters of the king. We think about all of the reasons why God shouldn't love us with an everlasting love. Maybe last week, maybe you were, you were okay, but this week, no. This has not been a good week. So you're like, well, God can't love me this week the way he loved me last week because he knows what's in my heart because he knows the things that I've done wrong. And so we disqualify ourselves. Jesus knew we would struggle with this. He knew that this would be hard for us to wrap our hearts around. And so he tells us a story. He tells the disciples this story. He shares this story with those around. And he tells us this story. It's a story that's familiar to us. That's out of Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. See, because he knew we would struggle with understanding the, the unconditional love of the Father, he paints a very clear picture of what it looks like. In Luke 15, starting verse 11, it says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property among them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired, hand, hired servants have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. 
the painter Rembrandt, and you can see the, the picture up here, painted the, the depiction of the return of the prodigal son. You look at the son and he is dirty, and his sandals are worn and falling off of his feet. You don't see his face because his face is buried into the chest of his father. You see the father embracing the son. Now, of course, there's a few things that are all wrong with the picture. They probably would have been outside because the father ran to where their son was, right? We can use our imagination. But I love this picture. This picture of a son who felt so distant from the father, so unworthy, said, you know, I'm just going to go back and ask to be, like a, to be a servant. I, I don't expect any more than that. The, the son knew the goodness of the father. He knew he had a good father. He also knew that he had messed up big time. How many of us are like that prodigal son where we walk into an inheritance with Jesus where he says, you are my sons, you are my daughters, you have access to the kingdom. And we start walking with Jesus, but what we do is we live life on our terms. And we end up in a place that we didn't expect being. We end up in a place where maybe we're broken, where things are falling apart. We start judging ourselves and looking at our own lives going, well, there's no way that God can love me. I know at one point he loved me, but right now, no, I I doubt it. And we struggle through that doubt. We struggle through that shame. Jesus knew we would struggle. The real key here is in verse 20. I think we focus a lot on the son. What the son did wrong, the things he should have done and the things he didn't, shouldn't have done. By the way, we need to understand that Jesus telling this story in that cultural context, he told the story wrong. See, this story, the Jewish culture in the Middle Eastern context, shame is a big deal. Shame, I mean, and honor rather, is, is a big deal in that culture. It's an honor-shame culture. In fact, honor is more important than money. Like, we, we are all about our stuff, right? How much money, how much toys, how, much, how big of a house. Like, like, we're all about the money. But in that culture, it was about the honor. And you accumulated honor, your family name would accumulate honor in the community. And so as a father, uh, the, the, the shameful things my sons would do would reflect back on me. They would bring dishonor to the family name. And so as Jesus is telling this story, you have to imagine his audience is going, what a bad son. What a horrible, wicked, wretched son. How dare he take his father's wealth and go and squander it? And I mean, he even throws pigs into the story. If you understand Jewish culture, you do not have anything to... So I mean, Jesus says, listen, this guy, he hit rock bottom. He was at the, 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 the depths of where... And they would have been cheering that going, that's right, he got what he deserved for bringing shame. And later on, we even read about the older son who's offended that the father would, would put a robe on his on his brother. And there's a, whole, there's a whole theology that goes with that. But you have to understand, in that culture, it would have been the right of the older brother to go and find the younger brother who had brought shame. And he would have the right to actually take his younger brother's life to restore honor. So Jesus is sharing this story and he is telling it all wrong. 
When he starts saying, well, the, the son says, well, I'll just go back to my father because he's gracious, gracious and compassionate and at least his servants have something to eat. You can imagine the crowds going, oh, we know how this is going to go. It's about to get good. And then Jesus says this in verse 20, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And everyone in the crowd would have gone, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? That's not the way that it, that works. That's not the way the story is supposed to go. But you know, there's a couple of things we see about the heart of the father. First of all is this. The father saw the son. When he was still a long way off, he saw him down the road. What does this tell us about the father in this story? He's looking. He's standing at the, the, at the end of the road, and he is just every day. I imagine all those around him would have said, you know, can you, can you come and participate in what's happening here? No, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for my son. I'm, he's, he, I know he's going to be coming at any moment. I'm waiting for my son. I'm looking for my son. And when he sees him, what happens? He's filled with compassion. We just read about a compassionate father in Psalm 145. That God is filled with compassion for us. That he is looking for us. That he is filled with compassion for us. And it says that he ran to his son. Men of stature and position in that culture did not run. They had other people run for them. They didn't run. He had enough money. He had enough wealth. He would have had people go do things for him. But in this moment, he steps out of his position and he is willing to even take on shame himself to go and embrace his son. Sound like anyone you know? That Jesus would step out of his royalty, out of his position and come as flesh and blood, and take on shame, and take on sin, and take on suffering, because God was looking down the road to see your face as you rounded the corner, and that he ran to you, and embraced you, and he throws his arms around him, and hugs him, and kisses him, and of course the son says to the father, father I've sinned, I messed up. I don't deserve to be your son. He's aware of his brokenness. He's aware of his sin. And he repents. And what is the father's response? Well, I'll tell you what he doesn't do. There's three things that doesn't happen. First of all, there's no inquisition. Where have you been? And what have you been doing? Do you know how many days you've been gone? I'd like to know, give me all the details of what you've been doing in the time that you've been gone. Because look at you, you're a mess. That, that robe that I gave you, those shoes, those sandals that I provided for you, look at them, they're worn out. And you've got mud, and is that, do I smell pigs? I smell pigs on you. There's no inquisition. The father doesn't question the son about where he's been. There's no accusation. Hey, you know you messed up big time. You should have known better. You're, you're my son. You represent this household. You represent me when you go out into the world. 
You should have known better. How dare you? There's no accusation. And there's no guilt trip. Do you know how much you've hurt me? Do you know how much you hurt your mother? Do you know how much you shamed your brother? He doesn't do any of those things. But how many of us would say that's our experience in life? It's what happens to us. We get guilted. Maybe by a father, by a mother, a brother, a sister, a friend, a family member, just a boss, a pastor, a church. Oh, we love the guilt trips. Where have you been? What have you been doing? Why have you been gone so long? What were you doing while you were there? When we start laying those things in, we, start, we feel that, right? We've been on the receiving end of that, and it never feels good. Am I right? It never feels good. In fact, it prevents us from being open and confessing and being truthful about what's going on in our lives because we run the risk when we bring things into the light and we're truthful about it. What we're not met with is compassion and grace. What we're met with is the accusation, the inquisition, and the guilt trip. And it's what we learn. I love a Pete Scazzaro who says that Jesus may be in my heart, but grandpa is in my bones. And so often the things that are done to us, the bad things that are done to us, we turn around, even if we say things like, I will never be like that. How many of you made a vow where you said, I will never be like my mom, I will never be like my dad, and years later you say or do something and you go, oh no. Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. And we end up living out those things. And Jesus says, no, my father is not like that. And his kingdom is not like that. And his heart is not like that. And rather than wanting us to feel the weight of his disappointment, and wanting him to, rather than him wanting us to feel the shame and feel badly for what we've done, He says, no, my son took that on himself at the cross. Surely he bore our shame. He took it on himself. And what that did is it opened the door for the father just to embrace us. What does the father do? He says, come quick, bring a new robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. What do these things mean? Well, a robe is covering. He covered his shame. In front of the servants, in front of all of these people, he covers his shame. See, he was dirty. He was filthy. He didn't look like the son of a king or at least a wealthy man. And so he brings a robe and he covers his shame. He puts a ring on his finger. Why? Because it, it speaks to identity. The ring would have been the symbol the ident- of, of his identity as a son of this rich man. He puts that ring and then he puts sandals on his feet. He brings this security that comes from, I mean, listen, if you walk around, if, like, they, remember, they didn't have cars. You walk everywhere and it's dirt roads and thorns and, right, if you're not wearing shoes, you're exposed. But he puts sandals on his feet and says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to give you confidence as you walk. And he restores his son that was lost. This is my son. And then he throws a big old party. 
don't know about you, but I so often struggle. Yes, I've given my life to Jesus. But it's hard for me sometimes to picture God giving me a loving embrace. Kissing me or putting a robe on my shoulders or putting a ring on my finger and restoring my position and my place. It's hard for me to imagine my heavenly father throwing a feast or a celebration to honor me. Maybe you feel the same way. See, but God is our father. He is a perfect father and he is a good father and he is a gracious father and a compassionate father. He's an eternal father. He is a father that will overlook those things because of the shed blood of Jesus. And he will welcome and embrace us and invite us into an inheritance that we could not earn ourselves. And just like this son who squandered, he took his inheritance and he spent it and wasted it. And when he comes back, the father doesn't say, hey, it's too late. He says, no, there's a lot more. There's more. And I have this for you. And I want to embrace you. I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with living like that kind of son. Sometimes I feel like I'm more in the pig pen than I am in the father's mansion. But this is the lie of the enemy. This is the lie of the enemy. Here's the thing, church. Yeah, you can give your life to Jesus, but if he can keep you in that place of shame and guilt and keep you ineffective and keep you downtrodden, oh my goodness. Not the lives that Jesus has called us to live. Not the lives, the lives that he has designed and destined for us. That the father is saying to us, because you are my son and because you are my daughter, I can, you, you have this confidence, this assurance in knowing that my father is good. I, I believe that a reason a lot of people struggle with this and why I've struggled with this is I've not looked at scripture and understand, understood the goodness of God, the nature of God. If he doesn't change, if he is compassionate and gracious and forgiving and trustworthy, and I know that those things don't change, if I really believe those things about him, it will affect the way that I live. It will affect the way that you live. It will affect your, the way you think. It will affect the way that you relate to other people. That when you walk in true relationship with the Father, when you know him, not know about him, when you know him, it changes your position, it changes your posture before him. And it's a place where there's no guilt and shame. Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll close with this. Writer of Hebrews says this in verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have, say it with me, confidence. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God 
with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. See, because of who Jesus is and what he has done in your life, you can have confidence that you can hold your head high, that you can come into the most holy place, into the presence of God, that you can draw near to God and you don't have to fear the accusation, the inquisition, and the guilt trip because He's not going to do that to you. That when we draw near to God, He embraces us and He kisses us and He hugs us and He puts a robe on our our shoulders and a ring on our finger and, and, and sandals on our feet. And I'm not talking about just that one time you gave your life to Jesus. Every single time that He wants to love on you, provide for you, care for you, tell you how much He loves you. This is the Lord. This is the God we can call Father. Amen. I want to invite you to stand as the worship team comes. I don't know how that resonates in your heart today. God does. There was a moment, though, that the the prodigal son had to make a decision. Do I stay where I am or do I go back to my father? Do I stay wallowing with the pigs or do I take the journey and I risk going back? And I just felt during worship this morning that there would be a place. I'm going to open this altar this morning for us to have a moment with Jesus, with our father. And maybe there's a part of the story of the prodigal son that resonates in your heart. Maybe a part of your life where you've thought, you know, Lord, I don't, I don't want to bring this to you. Because I don't know how you're going to react. I don't know how you're going to respond. Lord, there, there's, there's shame and there's guilt that I carry in my life. The prodigal son had to make a decision to go back to the father and the, the father saw him. And I felt like I want to open this space this morning as we sing this last song. And if there's something in your heart that resonates in that way, where you would say, I, I'm going to take a bold step and just come to this altar not to have a moment with Pastor Barry, but to have a moment with Father God. I believe there's something of that boldness, that declaration. It took guts for the son to go back to the father's house. There was a risk. And I believe that when we take a public step and make a public step of our faith in God, that it breaks the hold and the power of the enemy in those areas. And we get to agree with each other. My goal is not to shame anyone, but to provide opportunity. If that's you during worship this morning, as we close, if that's you, just move right out of your seat and just come stand up and just, you know, if there's, if there, I don't know how many of you will come forward, if any at all, and that's okay. But just come and stand in this place and worship Father and let Him embrace you this morning. Let's worship.